Amen. Good morning. Um, I know Steve already mentioned it, but I do want to say how excited we are uh, for the news of the list of last night. It, was, it really does seem like not a couple weeks goes by in this congregation without some sort of pop of good news or event. Or it's, it's really uh, lifts, lifts up the spirits, I think. Um, and I did want to remind everybody tonight, uh, we'll be beginning our Bible study from the book of James. Uh, so if you guys will jo- hope y'all will join us for that if you have the uh, opportunity. And uh, depending on how many, what our crowd is, we'll probably just meet in the fellowship hall if it's about the normal crowd we have on Sunday nights for our Bible study. I hope that we'll get a table and hopefully that will facilitate the, the discussion or the study aspect of it more. I'll probably make some coffee because I drink it all the time. So, you know, show up, drink some coffee, and we'll uh, be talking about the book of James for the next couple weeks. Um, and of course, not next week. Next week's the third Sunday, but after that. Um, so this morning, um, I, I want to talk about uh, a bit of an odd topic. And I, before I get started, I, I realize I wrote that phrase in my notes, but I find myself saying that all the time here. So apparently, I just need to stop because I'm always talking about something weird or unusual or strange sounding or or different or some kind of oddball phrase or, or topic. Um, so apparently just everything is on the table, I guess, when, we're, when we come to study the Word of God, which, uh, which, which kind of does bring us back to where I was going, in that I want to talk about something not often discussed, I think, at least from the pulpit, um, and that is the concept or just the, the very existence of Christian doubt. I know the timing may seem a little odd because there are so many good things going on in our church right now, but it's important to remember that there are still people, and even, even when things are good, I think people still have those, those times, those periods of doubt. Um, truthfully, I think at some point or another, uh, I would venture I would to say most Christians uh, either have doubts or questions about their faith. You know, this, do I really believe in God? Do I, do I really believe the Bible, as we're always talking about? Do I, do I really feel secure in my salvation? And in my personal experience, this... Maybe this hasn't been yours, maybe it, it has, but in my personal experience, I, I more often than not hear Christian leadership, whether that's preachers, elders, uh, you know, whoever, um, condemn doubt. Even having the questions or even doubting in the first place, I often hear it condemned, which leaves these churchgoers, and I mean, we're talking about saved, baptized believers, really set up to fail. They, they have questions or even these doubts regarding their faith, and they've, they've heard people, uh, rather than disciple them, they've heard sort of their leaders and their mentors condemn even the, the act of doubting or questioning, so their feelings kind of just get pushed aside or brushed off or, you know, sort of shunned away. And like all feelings that are pushed aside instead of really dealt with, it, the doubt never really goes away. It never gets really answered, so instead it begins to kind of fester, and it starts to maybe even spread a little bit. It, it seeps in until one day that, that individual or even that family who's been uh, you know, on the outside, a loving, dutiful, faithful member of the church, one day they're just gone. They, they come in one service and the next week they're not there and no one really knows why. In the absence of uh, either strong uh, connected elders or effective networked church family, nobody, nobody calls them. Nobody pops by to just say, hey, how, how are you doing? Is everything all right? And in most cases, when that happens, their worst fears are realized. They've disappeared and no one's even noticed. And when that happens, they're gone and they rarely return. All because they never just got to talk to someone who, who could answer their questions or, 
or, or maybe just give assurance to their doubts or help in any way or just, just give validation to the feelings they were having. They never got any of that, so they're, they're gone, removed from the church, likely permanently. Uh, many years ago, and this is well before my time at this point, but a man named Dan Dimshar wrote an article with the, the following question as its title. He said, why am I uncertain even though I'm working for the Lord? Dan wrote a series of these articles trying to address what he saw a growing trend in church communities. He, he said, many of us are working for the Lord, but deep down we feel like we're not doing enough. We often see ourselves falling short. We turn ourselves over to God, but we still see sins in our life. This has caused great anxiety. And it's been about 20 or 15, 20 years since, since Dan wrote those art, that article. Um, but unfortunately, I, th I think in this way, very little has changed. Um, if anything, I think the situation's actually gotten much worse. I think several Christians, several devoted members of the body of Christ are, are right now currently dealing with some form of doubt. They're battling questions about their faith. And unfortunately, again, in my experience, it seems like the, the stronger a particular church community is, the, and the longer those people have been Christians or been faithful, it's, it's almost like the, the worse equipped they are to deal with someone who has doubts. It's a, it's a sad irony of, of strength that it can cause us to, to not help the people who need it the most sometimes. I am, it is my hope and my goal this morning that where the works of many men have failed, the word of God can succeed and take some root. I mentioned earlier that a lack of leadership and a lack of discipleship can put Christians who have doubt in a position to fail. And I want us to know that our, our Heavenly Father, our perfect Creator, who, who knows us best, who gave us purpose in this life, has not set us up to fail. I have a, a few texts this morning that I want to share that I, I believe address the very biblical idea of Christian doubt. The first one we're going to look at is in, in 1 Corinthians. So if you do have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians and turn to chapter 10. We'll be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I'll begin reading in verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 9. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. And really... It's actually verse 13 from this chapter that I think is most often read to people who are, who are struggling in their faith in some way. But it's, it's actually verse 12 I want to focus on for right now. And this may seem like an odd thing to read to, to, to someone who is, who, is, who is doubting. I mean, we would hardly tell someone affair, afraid of falling to be careful so that you don't fall. But I think one of the, the first messages the Bible has for someone who's doubting is that it's okay. The, the, the foremost message in the Bible regarding doubt is actually the complete opposite of what is so often taught. And that is that if you're having doubts about your faith or you're having doubts about your very salvation, that's okay. We should be taking care or taking heed lest we fall. 
as I'm sure all of you are, are by now aware, I, something I don't talk about a whole lot, but before Priscilla and I uh, got married and moved here, I went through a very, a very troubling, very hard divorce. And when Priscilla and I began dating, things were, things were getting pretty serious, and uh, they were getting pretty serious pretty quickly, a little bit more than I was comfortable with. We started having some serious conversations about our future and about uh, our lives, and of course the topic of getting married came up pretty quickly, her knowing my own history and things like that. And uh, I don't know if anxious is the right word, but I was certainly getting a little unsettled. And uh, so one evening I sat down with Mike Lewis, who's the, who's the minister at the Flower Mound congregation that I've talked about several times. I sat down with him and I said, Mike, you know, Priscilla and I are having conversations about this and this, and I just, it seems like it's moving so fast and I don't want to mess it up, and I'm kind of worried, and I just, and he just looked at me very calmly, and he said, TJ, I'd be more concerned if you weren't worried. He said, given your situation, given what you've been through, I'd be more concerned if you were not worried. He said, the fact that you're concerned means you understand the weight of what is going on. You understand the weight of what's happening and that the situation is not one to take lightly. At the time, I was, I was so worked up that I, I had become worried about the very fact that I was worried, wondering what does this mean? What does this mean for myself? What does this mean for the relationship? And just sort of cycling through these things in my head, thinking it was a bad sign or a bad omen. And he just says, look, if you're concerned or you're cautious or you're a little afraid, you should be. And so my advice, or really the Bible's advice from 1 Corinthians, I think is very similar. It's okay to be afraid of falling when falling is a possibility. Again, counterintuitive advice maybe to someone who is doubting, but I, I think it's important to understand that the Bible does validate concerns that we might have about our salvation in this regard. Our salvation is something we should take very seriously. To, to have the occasional doubts means we understand the weight of what's going on. Salvation is conditional. We should take heed lest we fall. And as, as 1 Corinthians says, we should read the stories. We should understand the scriptures. We should know the things that have been written are written for our instruction and as an example. In my mind, there's, there's really two kinds of fear. There's irrational or irrational and I understand it's not that simple. There's certainly a gray area, but um, some people, for example, are afraid of heights. Well, if you're in a very tall building or in a very open balcony near the edge, that makes perfect sense. Because if you could fall, you would probably die. Fear of heights makes sense to me. Um, some people are afraid of snakes or spiders or certain kind of creepy crawly stuff. A lot of those kind of things are poisonous. If you've been stung by one or you, you know that to be afraid of those things, that makes sense to me too. Um, some people are afraid of things like clowns and going to the dentist. Unless you've had a freak accident at a circus or the dentist's office, I'm not really sure there's a, a rational way to be afraid of those things. And I'm not, look, if you're afraid of those things, I'm, I'm not going to, we all got things we got to deal with. That's not uh, the point. But there is a healthy amount of fear sometimes. The Bible tells us that to be fearful or, or concerned about our salvation is rational, that we should take heed lest we fall. As I mentioned earlier, there, there is kind of that gray area between the rational and the irrational fear. If I could take the fear of heights as an example, I think our fear of heights should keep us from getting too close to the edge, but it shouldn't keep us from climbing a ladder or climbing stairs. A healthy 
fear of heights will keep you from falling. Keeping with this idea of falling, I want us to look at our next text, which is actually 2 Peter chapter 1. And we'll flip over to 2 Peter chapter 1. Begin reading from 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Peter says if you're worried or if you're doubting, you can confirm your calling and your election by practicing these specific qualities. And we're going we're gonna to look at what those qualities are in just a minute. But I, I want us to see that there's a, there's a conditional promise in this text in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, if you practice these qualities, if you work on these things, you will never fall. He says, it's a, it's, it is a promise, but it is conditional. He says, if you're a Christian, he acknowledges that you can still fall. But if you want to not fall... Focus on these things. So, so what are they? What, what is this here talking about? Well, let's go up to verse 5. And uh, he begins listing the qualities in verse 5. And we'll sort of read our way back down to verse 10. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love, in that order, right, easy enough. It, it can feel like he, he, he might be setting a very lofty goal. The bar is very high. But I want us to, to understand that, that Peter doesn't say, perfect these qualities and then you will never fall. We understand that the, the standard that God sets for us is perfection. But there is that grace. Peter says, practice these qualities. He says, work on it. You're, you're going to learn. You're going to make mistakes, but work on it. Put, put time in. Put effort in. Practice them. Practice doesn't mean perfect. But you know, and this isn't the Bible, but they do say practice makes perfect. Peter says, practice these things. Be all the more diligent to confirm you're calling. He's saying you got to work at it. If you're doubting or you're unsure, he said if you put the time in, if you put the effort in, if you put some energy in, he says do that and you will never fall. I think it's a very powerful promise that he gives for us in the text here. To go back to the, this idea of the fear of heights or of falling, when I was a little kid, I remember the first time helping my dad put Christmas lights 
up on the on the the house, and we just had kind of your you know your normal average little one story house. So it wasn't like I was way up in the air or anything. But I I remember the first time I climbed that ladder to get to the roof, and uh, <laughs> I was scared. I was shaking. I was kind of trim. I was moving as slow as molasses. Truthfully, I was probably really unhelpful if we're being honest. Um, but but I was scared. I, I was I was uncomfortable. I hadn't been in that situation before, and. Uh, you know, so every year Christmas lights go up, and you got to go back up, take them down. So we we did this several times in uh, my my growing up there in that house. But uh, after I spent some time on the roof, I, I spent some time learning where the the different slopes of the roof are, where you can kind of stand firmly, and where you got to kind of kneel down to get close to the edge. I learned where you can kind of walk free and easy, and where you got to be careful. I spent time on the roof. It didn't happen on, on day one. It didn't happen the first time I ever climbed up there. But I did get comfortable. I got sure-footed. I became a little bit more secure in where I stood. Our salvation may be conditional, but the Bible also tells us that the conditions are clear. It says, once we've obeyed the gospel, if we're diligent, if we're working, if we're practicing these qualities, we will never fall. I want to look at one more scripture, and we'll, uh, we'll conclude. Turn over just about half a page to 1 John. We're going to look at 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. And it is 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now, the next section we're about to read, I want us to notice that that John is going to present two sets of sort of a do's and don'ts, a sort of a good cop, bad cop juxtaposition. Of a, a don't do this, but do this comparison. He's going to present two sets of those. So in verse 6, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But, look at verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins, to cleanse us from all righteousness. To John, there's, there's two options. There's, there's walking in the darkness while claiming to walk in the light. He says, if you do that, you are not practicing the truth. But if you walk in the light, you'll be with Christ. You can say you have no sin and just be lying to yourself and to God. And then again, he said, the truth is not in you. But if you're just able to confess those. Notice he doesn't say, when he's talking about walking in the light, he says you can walk in darkness or walk in light. But in regards to sin, he doesn't say you can either sin or don't sin at all. He said, "Don't, don't act like you have no sin." But rather, confess your sin. He says, if you do that, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John presents a, a clear set of sort of do's and don'ts that I think overlap a, a little bit with Peter's writing. But he, he reminds us of something else. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, his blood cleanses us from all sin." 
John must have heard somebody say, say it a little louder for the ones in the back, because he repeats himself almost exactly over again in, in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he forgives us. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Salvation is conditional, but in the Bible, the conditions are clear. And in God, God gives grace. It's a wonderful, wonderful message, I think, for those who are struggling with doubt. It's, the first thing is that it's, it's okay. If you have doubts at times, if you have questions at times, that's okay. But know in Scripture that, our yes, our salvation might be conditional, but the condition of our salvation is very clear. And even when we, if we're walking in the light, if we're striving to walk with Christ, and we, and we feel like we're not perfect, or we feel like I'm not exactly where I want to be, he says that's okay. Walk in the light, confess your sins, and God is faithful to us. When I think about that, uh, that story I was saying earlier, I, unlike a, an icy sort of wintry Christmas rooftop, the Lord is very forgiving. I can do everything right. I can be very careful. But if I misstep on sort of an icy or wet shingle while hanging Christmas lights, I can still fall off the roof, <laughs> even if I've done it a million times. But when it comes to walking with the Lord, the Lord says, no, if you walk with me, you will never fall. I want to close us with a story about my grandfather that I hope will illustrate... Uh, Faith and sort of the, the journey or the development of faith as a Christian. Um, before he passed, my grandfather was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And certain types of cancer, because of where they are in the body or how they're discovered, uh, they're, they're very curable, they're very treatable. But uh, pancreatic cancer, the doctors will tell you, is essentially a death sentence. Um, it, it's almost always a, a terminal diagnosis. And I can't speak for how he dealt with it privately when he had those moments to himself. I'm sure it was very hard. But publicly, anytime he was, whether he was in the church building or not, anytime he was with friends or with family, when asked about this sort of looming diagnosis, he was always very vocal about his faith. He, he said, if I beat it and I get some more time with my family, awesome, great. But if I die, I will know I gained the victory. He often called it a win-win. I have to confess this morning that uh, I do not have that kind of faith. I'm still very scared of dying. I have no intention of doing it anytime soon. I'm very fearful. The, the idea of death very, very much scares me. We were talking about rational and irrational feels earlier. I have a very, very strong fear of getting shot at. Because most people I know who get shot at die. So I'm very scared of that still. I have no intention of doing it anytime soon. I would like to not. I don't have that kind of faith to, to look death in the face and say, okay, I don't. But you know what? That's okay. I wish I did. I want to. I strive to someday. But that's the kind of faith that at that time in, in his life, he had been a Christian for about 30, 35 years longer than I have now. He had spent that time practicing those qualities. He had spent that time walking in the light. He had spent that time confirming his calling and election. That's what putting time in looks like. That's what putting the, the effort and the time and the dedication to grow and be strong in your faith looks like. As I said, I, I'm not there yet. 
but that's okay. Because I'm, I'm striving to be, and I'm working on it. And really, I think that's all God asks. If you feel like you have not just stumbled, but you have fallen, if you feel like you've been struggling to walk in the light, 